the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 257 Recap Show. Spencer Kite jumped on my YouTube channel to help me recap the action, as well as answer your questions live, so enjoy. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Dark night. It's a dark night. All right, I guess that means we are live here. I'm going to check that out as we pile in. Of course, you uh, sadly know me, Dan Tom, at Dan Tom MMA. You can find on MMAJunkie.com, LineMovement.com, as well as. Uh, this channel and this program, which it'll be going to, which is the Protect Your Neck podcast, but I brought in a co-host, and uh, wow, as that goes right in my ear, we are live, that is for sure. Yeah, I'm very experienced podcast go, so I, I needed some help today, clearly. Uh, so I brought on my man, at Spencer Kite, where you can find him on Twitter. You can find uh, his features on his Substack, which again, go follow him on Twitter for that, or, you know, this little company called the UFC, we might be talking a little bit about them. Uh, Spencer, you know, may write uh, features for them on these fighters, and may have been covering this sport for roughly, I don't know, north of a decade now. Spencer, give give uh, give the audience um, your background a bit before we get into this. It's a very loose format. People still got to pile in. And, uh, and, and and I think more people should be familiar with you anyways, man. So uh, what got you into this crazy? What's your excuse? What got you into this crazy mess of <laughs> covering him? Um, my excuse is like a lot of people, I just kind of started out as a fan and, and started out back in the days when Blogger was still a thing. So had a Blogspot account, um, launched the original Keyboard Kimura blog back there. Um, and just, you know, fortunate to, to connect with, the right people and some opportunities and and work my way through a few sites. I don't know if anybody remembers heavymma.com back in the day. Uh, shout out to Matt Brown, Jeremy Botter, Megan Olivi, Dwayne Finley, Ryan Loco, James Law, yeah. John Lane, um, all kinds of different people, Jonathan Snowden, all kinds of different people passed through there. I was fortunate to be a part of that crew when it launched and, and when we were doing things there and just, Continued to work my way through over the last, yeah, as you said, upwards of a decade, nine years now, uh, putting together features at, at UFC.com, which it's crazy every time I think of it because, you know, you do that little think back of what was the first thing I did there or, or how long has it been? And and then you go back and look and it's like, wait, that was that was a decade ago. Where did those 10 years go? But that's the that's the journey, man. Just been been grinding away. Uh, I've barely been even, you know, uh, covering in the sport like for half the time as you. However, <laughs> I, I have been, you know, in, in my defense, a part of the sport for a while. And we'll talk about it here, especially when we get to the co-main event with Michael Chandler, where I was going back to, you know, my roots with certain fighters. And I'm sure you have yours with covering them for so long that you, yeah, where like, where does the time go? So when you said a decade, like I totally sign off with you there because I'm like, where, where the heck did this time go, man? It felt like it was just yesterday. You know, I was on the mats, uh, you know, with this guy, Michael Chandler, who we'll talk about. And right. he was deciding, he's like, dude, I don't want to wait for this Bellator tournament to start. I already haven't fought in like four months. I need to fight. And I left that conversation thinking, this guy's not even going to wait for this Bellator tournament. And sure enough, he, he, he he's patient. He does it. And then now, you know, he's in the UFC. And 
we're talking about it here because it, it's a big, it's under a big, you know, McGregor card, which of course, spoiler alert, folks, if you haven't watched it for some reason already and you're for some reason watching this, um, <laughs> Dustin Poirier, of course, defeated Conor McGregor, which we will get to off the top. Uh, you can post your questions down below here, but um, is it just me being a nostalgic nerd, Spencer, or did maybe it's these, you know, big 10-pole cards, if you will, kind of bring this about, but did you have some kind of... Uh, uh, nostalgic, uh, you know, th this week in the lead up, like, like, wow, where, where does this time go? 2021. So the crazy thing for me, and, and this isn't meant as any kind of like humble brag or anything like that. Um, so I remember watching the Fightville premiere at the Toronto international film at the hot docs festival in Toronto, the week of UFC 129, um, alongside my heavy MMA cohorts and Tim Crater and this kid that was the star of it named Dustin Poirier, who couldn't have been more than 21 at the time, quiet, uh, wasn't too far removed from his win over Josh Grisby. So he's one fight into the UFC, right? And he's just this quiet kid, head down, not really talking very much, have talked to him throughout, maintained that relationship, interviewed him a number of times. Obviously, we've all watched the rise and and Dustin become the guy that he is today. and and the performance that he put on last night. Additionally, about six weeks after Conor McGregor, this Irish guy blows into the UFC in Sweden, knocking out Marcus Brimage. My wife, her brother, and his wife had a trip to Ireland planned. So I reached out to my editor at the time at UFC Magazine, Seth Kelly, and said, hey, I'm going over to Ireland. I've, I've talked with John Cavanaugh before. I've talked with a couple of guys at this gym. Do you want me to see if I can can connect on something? He said, yeah, go ahead. See, see what you can put together and let me know because that was a great performance and this guy seems like he's got some buzz and, and if we could do something, then let's do something. Um, so our first day or second day in Dublin, my wife and I trek out. This is, we go and find the old SBG when it wasn't this big, beautiful HQ on the main road. It was in a warehouse tucked down behind a car lot where you just like, if you didn't see the gorilla on the wall, their logo, you would miss it. Go in, talk to Cahal Pendred, talk to John Kavanaugh, finally meet Connor and say, okay, let's get this interview done. Let's, he says, listen, I got to get to Louis Copeland's to try this outfit on. And I've got this photo shoot. You're coming. So we'll all just go pile in myself, my wife, John Kavanaugh, Connor McGregor in a rented Saab station wagon beaming down the narrow, busy streets of Dublin to Louis Copeland's, where I then get to proceed to watch Conor McGregor try on bow ties, Dickie Bows, as he was calling him at the time, for about an hour. Ran late on our appointment with my brother and sister-in-law, who, of course, were, were kind of frustrated that we were late for our Guinness Storehouse tour, all of those things. I texted them yesterday morning and said, hey, I don't know if you remember this, but, like, really sorry about that time we were late. I know you know that I had work to do, but it, it seemed to have worked out okay. That guy turned out to be a little something. Happy Conor McGregor fight day. So that fight last night is is one of those ones for me that absolutely puts me in like, man, it's been a minute. And look at where these guys have gone to and what they've become. And, and that's the thing to me about this sport that, you know, both of those guys started. Conor's first fight was on Facebook. Like we watched it on Facebook. Dustin's first fight in the UFC, no one expected him to do what he did. And yet 
all this time later, here they are. They're two of the biggest stars in the sport. So that fight was was special for me. And, and seeing them get to where they are and, and be who they are now is is a reminder to me of why those early fights are important. Absolutely, man. I, I get I'm getting goosebumps like twice, or as my people like to say, chicken skin. Yeah. Um, as you said, both the Poirier fight Fightville story uh, in the theater, and and of course the Conor McGregor story. I wasn't aware of either of those. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, you've obviously been around in the space for a minute, uh, my friend. But dude, that is that is crazy, and for them to, to come together even the first time. You know, uh, is yep. something. It would have been something back at 178, but now at 257, uh, that that is <laughs> that is that is insane. Even I'm getting flashbacks, like when you said Dustin Poy when he beat like Josh Grisby, and people forget right. Josh Grisby was supposed to be like the next guy for the title, but he was uh, supposed to fight Aldo for the title on that card, and and Jose was hurt, and he looked like you know he was playing the spoiler, which Dustin Poirier was, and. You know, you look like maybe just another step for a little bit there and Conor McGregor's rise at a certain point in McGregor's career, right, before Poirier hit that turnaround at 155. But it's been pretty clear, and, you know, I don't have to tell you this, nor should I really have to tell um, a lot of the hardcore listeners, uh, shouts to you guys who follow this show this, because you, you, you're hardcore you know, followers of the sport, but it's no surprise, but Dustin Poirier has been riding into town as the proverbial good guy and getting business done for quite some time. This is not new hat for him. He is... He is that Western gunslinger that, you know, the stories and the movies try to make about. That's our best parallel we have to it, I believe, in MMA. I know Cowboy obviously would probably have something to say about that, and that's another fight that I would have loved to have seen at any era in their career. Um, but Dustin Poirier is that good guy riding to town and slinging guns, man. Uh, you know, whether you're a McGregor fan or not, you got to give this guy credit. Yeah, and it's it's crazy, right? I think somebody tweeted out, and I can't remember who it was, probably multiple people yesterday. He's been the underdog in like seven of his last eight fights or his last eight fights. And it's it's crazy to think, but then you look at who he's fought and you go, okay, some of this makes sense. Like, this is the guy that we had an idea about and it just took that time. And and so every next fight always felt like, well, this is maybe the one where Dustin get where this run comes to an end. Maybe this is the one where Dustin reverts to some of those old bad habits. And every single time out, I thought it was so great last night that the camera switches to Dustin's wife, Jolie, and, and she just says to the camera, that's the last time y'all are ever going to underestimate my husband. Because for these last seven or eight fights, myself included, there's always been a spot where I've been like, right, but is Dustin going to get clipped? And how is he going to react to that, that power? And I thought that was the turning point of that fight last night in that first round is when he ate the first couple and he he was able to shake them off. It it looked like that was the thing that settled him into, okay, I'm here. I can deal with this. Now it's time to cook. Now it's time to get to work. And from that point forward, he was he was unbeatable. Absolutely. I, I that, we'll talk about the turnaround stuff. Um, from a technical point of view here in just one second, which, by the way, and, and fair warning to you, Spencer, I will be dropping in some technical <laughs> tidbits and betting tidbits. Uh, so apologies in advance, but just from the audience, uh, the, the audience that I have, a lot of these degenerates out there, we, we share some similar sensibilities. And uh, I will be recapping uh, the picks and plays, of course, real quick. We went 6-5 and five overall, the Protecting Neck podcast on picks, 3-0 and oh in straight plays, 
0-1 for props, but that's okay. And thank goodness um, I stayed away, or at least stayed away from recommending y'all uh, for the big betters that do follow me away from parlays because it was not a night for parlay pieces, <laughs> starting with the one we're talking about, right, Spencer, with the minus 300 favorite or whatever the closing line was that McGregor uh, got to. You, I mean, you, you noted the, the underdog story for Poirier perfectly, but McGregor, even though people don't agree with it, I tell them, don't be surprised. Not only is it his popularity, but we've seen it even with the fighters like Darren Till, uh, you know, people from that part part of the world back their fighters at the betting window, right? Yeah, they absolutely do. And you don't have to apologize for it. If any of my friends from, from here in Abbotsford are, are tuning in or check this out at some point, they are part of that degenerate group you talk about that follows you. So they are very much interested in these things. And, and I will direct them towards you even further going forward because I don't have the angles on, on the betting world that you do. So they will uh, they will definitely come on board this. Oh, I appreciate that, man. And uh, yeah, I just, you know, hopefully hopefully people do okay. It's a crazy thing to do. But, uh, you know, as we've seen um, in this space, um, it is a growing it is a growing field, uh, you know, um, as far as, you know, the gambling in this pandemic era. And I want to also want to bounce something back um, amongst this era and even before it. I always try to make sure and, and it's and it's weird. And, I, and obviously, I'm sure you get this because, you know, you write for the UFC, and even though I don't, I do work for uh, a very, you know, a MMA junkie, and we're not exactly on bad terms with the UFC. So a lot of people will, you know, even if you say something nice, you know, they'll they'll accuse you of shilling, or um, you know, right. you, you got to be, you know, if you're cool, you're not you're not going to crit, or if you're cool, you got to criticize the. I'm neither nor. I try to call things for better or worse, mainly worse. By the way, I'm very honest. But one thing I really try to do, Spencer, is give credit credit to UFC production. And, like, they nailed it perfectly when they got Izzy dancing away down that tunnel, you know, pre-pandemic, I think, after he beat Robert yep. Whitaker, and they followed him down. Uh, there's these little improv moments after the fight that they can't plan for. But, Mike, the, the hustle, I mean, it's probably like they're they're overworked. Um, it's late in the night. And then the wherewithal, like you said, to capture Poirier's wife, I mean, really just sent it home. That was, like, out of a movie. I'm getting, again, chicken skin, it's coming back. <laughs> I'm getting it now. And, man, I, I got to... Again, I, I, I said it a couple of podcasts ago, but I got to tip my hat off to UFC production. Um, those, those, those guys and gals work their, their butts off. They never get any shine. And they really give us amazing moments that you don't realize. Maybe I know I'm a nerd and I appreciate these things, but <laughs> even if you're like the most casual of casual, that added to your experience last night, seeing that moment with his wife. So I just have to shout that out with and, and add on with you there. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I mean, I think that's part of the reason that we've always seen the UFC want to control its own production, be the ones responsible for putting things together. It's why doing things like building the Apex where they have their own entire facility to to run events that, you know, the way things played out last year is what they built it for to have that venue. Obviously, they didn't plan on a pandemic coming in and becoming kind of the permanent home of, of events outside of Fight Island. But yeah, that crew that that is in charge of all of those production details in, ter in terms of, you know, having all of those camera men and women running around, kind of making sure that they're, as you said, aware of, of the little things that may be moments and just keeping the camera rolling and following, whether it's the fighter in the crowd that may be the next contender or the former champion or the champion that's watching the two contenders face off or last night, Jolie Poirier having that reaction that she had. Those really are those moments that, that take it from being 
a really great fight and a really great performance by Dustin and making it a really great kind of transcendent moment and a memorable moment that stands out that that kind of goes beyond just the sport of it and makes it a kind of more family thing and makes it a more touchstone moment for people. Absolutely. And I think my man over there, uh, MMAKO, follow and subscribe to his channel as well there in the chat. He agrees with us. He says, so happy to see Dustin get that win. Can't think of many fighters who deserve a win like this more than him. I mean, I'll add in the paid in full hashtag, but I completely agree with him there. Um, and again, you've seen this guy behind the scenes, Spencer. And uh, from all accounts, he just seems to be, you know, be a good, a good guy, as good as as good as a guy you can get in this crazy sport, right? Yeah, I mean, it it can't be said enough. And and I know they talked about it a little bit on the broadcast. Dustin mentioned it in his post fight interview. But the work he has done with the Good Fight Foundation, and when they launched, I reached out and said, "Hey, man, let's let's get something together. Let's get it up on UFC.com to talk about." what you're doing, because these are the things that we don't, it's not that they don't happen in this space, it's that we don't often hear about them. So there are lots of men and women in the UFC, in MMA in general, that are majorly involved in their communities, that do outreach, that do charity efforts, that do good work, and we just don't hear about it, because it's not necessarily a thing that we're rushing to tell people about. For whatever reason, Dustin launching this charity and, and his profile as he started publicizing it became a thing that that people latched onto it always is going to generate interest and and sort of attention when going into each fight he says i'm auctioning off my kit from this event for whatever the charity is and it sets everything up right you're already interested if you're a fight fan you're already interested dustin poirier's fighting sweet what's this he's doing about a charity oh okay and and it sends you in he does a great job with it and shout out to whoever has has managed his social media or taught him about social media integration and things like that, he does a great job with it. And so to see that side of things and understand that side of what he's doing, and I know that Connor and his team donated half a million dollars to the charity. So there's incredible work being done. And, and we say it all the time, I think of, you know, this is one of the good guys, couldn't have happened to a better guy. It's, it's as true as it can be with Dustin Poirier. For everything he's gone through professionally in terms of constantly building himself back up, and then for the work he does in his community, it, it absolutely was a moment where it's, it is. It's, it's overdue, and it, couldn't, it really couldn't happen to a better guy. Yeah, good shouts on the Good Fight Foundation. And, uh, and yeah, and you know what? It really is. And, and good ups on you to, to helping that out, Spencer, for that effort, too. Because really, it, it, it's it's just a good excuse for good PR, too. Because, and I say this all the time, you know, um, even, you know, you could, you could, obviously, you could easily criticize McGregor for a lot of things outside the cage. But you can easily criticize Khabib, too, if you look at certain things. Like, nobody's perfect. But when you, you know, you fight a guy like Dustin Poirier... If, if anything, it feels like at the very least, it's a good chance for some positive PR and the winners are obviously, you know, it's going to the good people. You know, you want to criticize McGregor's money or maybe people that support Khabib's with, with money. That's fine or whatever. But if you see these guys actually like making good and putting positive, putting it towards somewhere positive, like I'm not saying that you should be fans with them or it absolves anything. I'm just saying it's positive. It's easy PR. Um, so it just seems like an everybody wins situation. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, nobody's perfect. I mean, people are going to make mistakes. People are going to have 
you know, stances, positions, say things, do things that we object to or that we ride with. I mean, Conor McGregor, for all of the the myriad bad headlines that we've had over the years, and especially these last few years, you go back when when Ireland was voting on things like same-sex marriage and same-sex rights. He was out at the fore of that. He was one of the leading voices. Last year, when the pandemic struck and they were talking about lockdowns, he was one of the people that was out kind of getting on the campaign trail and saying, this is what we need. So yes, it's easy to to point to the mistakes and the missteps, but there's good there as well. And so, as you said, there's a little bit of it with everybody. And and if we can take those moments to shine a positive light on things and, and show the positive efforts these people are doing, to me, it makes complete sense. Well, let's talk about the, uh, the matchup. I do believe, obviously, Dustin Poirier wins via... Uh, KO, TKO. I know people are arguing that now. That's you know that's the new arguing point. Um, it looked like he, he went out pretty clean to me, and I guess we could just leave it at that. Um, but yeah. that was the result and the turnaround. Conor McGregor credits the calf kicks. It was a an adjustment that I feel like a lot of people, including myself, um, were the ones you could call for. Whether it was calf slash leg kicks, being from American Top Team in the same stance, or uh, potential wrestling. Obviously, Dustin showed a little bit of both, and both you could say perhaps uh, accredited to the flat-footed McGregor we saw. I don't know if he was necessarily flat, because, uh, again, I don't want to veer too far into excuse territory and excuse land, right? When we have guys like GSP coming back and making three-year returns, it's you know, right. and, Con- and Connor successfully made this layoff return before, so I don't want to get too much into the weeds there. You can weigh on it if you like. But what I saw turn the tide, what to, to, even though I, I got this pick wrong, by the way, I picked McGregor, first-round KO, um, but I did say in the Southpaw versus Southpaw matchup, citing Holly Holm versus Valentina Shevchenko, the check right hook seems to be a punch that yep. kind of comes into play. And I feel like that in the rewatch looks to be what kind of turned it around. What was your um, read on the fight as far as as the action, how you, how you saw it play out, Spencer? I mean, same as you. I, I got to start this by saying I got the pick wrong. I uh, did not have a good night with my selections. Um in terms of this, but you know, that's neither here nor there. When we get great fights and we get great action, I was really impressed and and really surprised watching it live last night. As soon as Dustin started wrestling, I said, okay, this is, this is big. This is an important thing. Um, This is, you know, anytime you're not giving Connor a chance to punch you in the face, it's a positive thing. So whether it's closing the distance and clinching or whether it's taking him to the ground, that's, those are important. I do think that the the leg kicks, the calf kicks, we've seen the value and importance of those and, and the impact those have had on myriad fights over the last bunch of years as they've become more prominent. I do think that played a part in it, but I think you're you're dead on. As Dustin started figuring out that timing in that range and that ability to land that counter hook, that's when he started doing the little points and doing the little, oh, I got one on you. And you felt that one. And and I think some of that is, is just, you know, having to settle in and having to get a read. Like, I think there are times that we watch these fights and we expect everything to just happen instantaneously. And we don't necessarily recognize that those first couple minutes are so vital and so crucial for gaining an understanding of timing of range, of strength, of speed, of all of these different factors. And I think for Dustin, that was a big part of it. Like I said earlier, I think he needed to kind of shake out a little bit of the the nervous energy and a little bit of the adrenaline, get hit a couple times, realize that he can take it. And then he starts landing a couple good shots of his own and you can just see him 
settle in and go, okay, I'm here and, and I'm very much in this and I can beat this dude because I can take his best now and I'm landing some of these things that I've worked on and that I've figured out. Now it's time to go to work. And, and from the point that he started initiating and started seeing that confidence grow, he just, it was a wash. Like he just, it was a tidal wave. I love that you use the word initiating because that's what I was thinking of too when you have that example of how important it is to tone set, right? Um, when you have potentially two, depending on the fight, can be somewhat slow starters and Holloway and Cater. Holloway knew how important it was to just turn up on the slow starter and never let him in that fight. And he never did for the 25 minutes regardless yep. if it should have went that long. And shout out to my man Zane Simon who brings up a great point about you know, yes, sure, it could be a semi-obvious, but one that is stressed for a reason, which is volume. I actually like the meta, and I want to give a nod to the fight site's Danny Martin, who I believe he's moved on to become a paramedic now, but shouts to Danny. And he really talks about the MMA meta as far as taking initiative and initiatives, I believe. I believe I'm crediting the right person, I hope, um, and the right kind of work. But yeah, to, to your point, Spencer, how important it is to take that initiative. And even though he was taking initiative at parts, he was also able to... You know, like with the open space takedown, which I, I was wrong at. I, I thought he was going to have to get Connor to the cage to have a better chance um, where it ended up being the opposite, right? Uh, however, you know, he did show that he could counter back to the check right hook as well and do it from those instances. And yeah, man, it's, it, there, there is a, a, a lot of interesting points, you know, as far as, you know, uh, Connor, I could see why I thought he was checking the kick because he did that subtle turnout. But those were for more traditional tie kicks, not this more new age um, calf kick. And I think that ties in with one of the questions here in the chat, which I'll, I'll pitch to you here, Spencer. I think this is a great one. comes in from Chris Charles. I didn't talk about this angle enough, but I think he's referring to the Portugal training camp. He goes, I don't think Connor is getting the sparring partners Dustin is getting at ATT. Not sure Connor's getting challenged like he should. Of course, he not only people, you know, have, have maybe suspicions as you know, SBG the right place for him and or maybe it is the right place, but him and Kavanaugh has had dust-ups. He goes to Portugal. Uh, you know, I believe Kavanaugh was still with him. I believe that relationship was strong for this camp, but still a change in camp, a smaller scene, a more unknown scene, not as proven scene nonetheless. Um, is there any weight into what Chris Charles is saying in the difference of uh, camp conditions? I mean, without you know, obviously without being in, in Connor's camp and, and getting kind of full behind the scenes picture of who he's working with and what he's doing. It's obviously a thing to talk about. We've seen some of these elite talents over the years, they get in there and, and when it becomes their show, maybe they don't want to go those hard rounds. Maybe they don't want to have the person in there pressing them and, and pushing them to the extent that they need to. That's one thing you are never going to have to deal with or you're never going to get from these guys at, at American Top Team, or at least we've seen from a lot of these elite competitors that train at ATT. They're in there with these coaches that it's, yes, it's geared around them. Yes, it's set up to maximize Dustin Poirier on the night of UFC 257, but he's not going in there and getting these easy rounds and getting this light work and and people aren't pushing him. He's going hard with world-class talents. He's going hard with coaches that are making him redo things over and over. And he's logging that time. And so it very much could be a thing that, that Connor does need either a change of location or just to bring in 
some different people, some more high-end people, some more, you know, reach out to some different people to bring them into camps as he continues, if he does continue and, and decide to to make 2021 a season for him. Because, you know, as, as much as I understand and agree with kind of Max Holloway saying, look, guys, we don't have to spar as much. You've, you've put in those rounds. I do think there's something for being put through the paces enough that it's not just easy work and it's not just tailored around kind of boosting your ego and making you feel like you are absolutely great. It's making you earn and, and prove that you're at that kind of elite level and ready to go rather than just everybody telling you, yeah, you look great. And, and you haven't necessarily done that work. Yeah. To quote the great Depeche mode, maybe, uh, can reach out and touch faith and kind of find that spirit uh, to kind of get his second renaissance, if you will. We've seen fighters um, have renaissances, maybe even just this weekend. People were maybe counting Max Holloway out, right? Uh, and, you know, he's not doing the sparring. And maybe he had, you know, people were questioning his own um, training, you know, uh, techniques and preparations. And he comes out looking better than ever, right? Um, is he yep. a different fighter? I'm not sold on that per se, but it just kind of to your point there, right? And we, you're right. We don't know what's going on inside these camps. Um, small camps is not a, an uncommon trend. It's a trend that I, I hope we see more of and I've written about and have gotten behind. So it's nothing against, you know, a more well-known camp versus a, I'm not tr treating those bias, but yes, it is a fair question. Um, like Spencer said, you know, what that training, you know, um, is like. And there's no question that ATT is top-notch everything. The only thing I think you could, if you really want to split hairs and criticize for ATT, was maybe game planning. Like, for example, when you look at the Dustin and Khabib fight, right? The Dustin and right. Khabib fight. But then, you know, that same camp, that same person comes out and shows a brilliant game plan from the calf kicks, takedowns, and check hooks here. So you got to give credit to ATT as well. Well, and the other part of, you know, not necessarily criticizing Connor's camp, but questioning what that preparation is, is you don't want to take away from Dustin Poirier. Like, Connor's training camp could have been a plus top notch pushed every day and Dustin Poirier was just the better man. He just had the yep. better approach. He just executed better. So I feel like we, this is another one of those things, right? We constantly are looking for ways to sort of explain the loss when sometimes the, the easiest answer is just that that guy was better that night. Absolutely. That guy, that guy executed better. A absolutely. And I, uh, and I don't want to be uh, too reductive because that was what got me into the wrong pick, which was, you know, I always go by the matchup. I'm just going to make it easy for me and stick to the stylistic matchup. And uh, I don't right. think stylistic matchups change, but um, shout out to uh, my, my guy, uh, Boxing Bush out there, uh, tweeted, you know, it, it is the same stylistic matchup and maybe those don't change, but people do change a little bit. And that's kind of something we have to take into account. And this was a brilliant example of that. That kind of puts us all in check. So I was happy to see uh, Dustin win, and uh, not much to say behind that, uh, although I do, you know, hearts with you. I know some of the big betters that follow me, you know, uh, grabbed some early McGregor lines that they liked, and uh, I guess it's a blessing that uh, I didn't end up playing this fight personally <laughs> um, because uh, the, the lines were too inflated. Um, so uh, hopefully you all, did, you know, made out okay in the other parts of your night and took my uh, advice for the rest of the card here as we... We, 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 we push forward, Spencer. In the co-main event, this is one that cashed for me at least. Of course, I can't really take credit for it because it is laced with bias. Um, Michael Chandler defeats uh, Dan Hooker. Now, really quickly before I get your thoughts, because I want you to open your thoughts on this, um, touching on our opening stories on like our connections with these fighters, you mentioned 
Dustin Poirier versus Josh Grisby. Wasn't that supposed to happen? Didn't that happen at a UFC 125 uh, resolution? Yep. It did. I was at that card. I was at that card live. And shout out to gorgeous George and Ghost, who are now my colleagues. They weren't back then. I was just, you know, some listener of the show slash uh, failed amateur fighter that they, uh, you know, interviewed on their show at the time. While they also were interviewing Chandler from my gym, who was just, you know, getting into the Bellator uh, tournament or whatever. And anyways, they hooked me up with a ticket that night. And uh, I'm going in to meet them. I'm walking with the MGM parking lot. And I hear someone go, Dan, Dan. And I'm like, who's calling for me? Like, no one knows me. I'm not important now, you right. know, Spencer. Like, especially back then, like, who, who the fuck is this guy times, you know, 17 million, right? Uh, but it was Mike Chandler. And and I was like, why is this guy calling? And he's like, hey, and it, he's like, oh, you're going to the show too? And I was like, yeah, yeah. We, it, we ended, uh, he ended up getting a ticket from the same place. And he's like, hey, let's let's go in together and let, let's hang out together, uh, you know, go watch the show. And I could kind of tell it was one of those, because he just moved out here and he didn't have very many friends. So right. I'm like, man, this guy must have no friends if he's like <laughs> asking me to, you know, hang out with him for the show. So we go watch this historic fight, right? We get the we get the uh, rematch between Gray Maynard and Frankie Edgar, a legendary fight that goes to a draw, right? And uh, you get all these memories, you know, it's all these crazy things. And so just to see, that's the kind of the channel that I met in you. So to see yeah. him all these years later and, you know, let's be honest, he was an underdog for a reason. He could have easily walked into a knee and it could have been a failed thing and people would have been crapping on him, crapping on Bellator. And I don't think that would have been fair to really anybody. But he went in and he, he actually fought a bit smarter than, than even I thought. And he blew, he blew me away. I'm, I'm, I'm taking up the stage. What, what did you think here, Spencer, of, of this fight, man? I thought he looked great. And again, I mean, I, I was one of those people. And, and it's not that I was underestimating Michael Chandler. It's that I think really highly of Dan Hooker, and I thought this is a tough, tough assignment for a guy coming into his UFC debut. Not that he's necessarily going to deal with the jitters, because obviously Mike's been in some really huge fights and some really big high-pressure situations in the past. But just a tough matchup of a guy that works really well at range, has some dangerous weapons, and and maybe he catches a little bit over-anxious Michael Chandler coming in or Michael Chandler pressing just that little bit that you don't want to press against a guy like Dan Dan Hooker. But as you said, he he blew me away in terms of maintaining that center position, keeping Dan Hooker, like letting Dan Hooker just do his thing on the outside and then finding those moments. And it was really telling to me when he went back to the corner afterwards and kind of looked at Henry Hooft and was like, I saw everything coming. Like I just, I saw everything. Yeah. And that... You know, I didn't necessarily expect that. I didn't necessarily expect. But when you go back and watch the replay of the left hook that put Dan Hooker on the canvas, he knew where he was going. He knew what exit was coming. He knew which way Dan Hooker was circling, that he wasn't going to pivot and go back the other way and just put it out there and let him walk onto it. And and that was it. And I really liked the fact that as Dan Hooker's down and he's trying to pull that single and he's trying to just get a hold of Michael Chandler to, to stop it, you see Michael Chandler kind of push back a little bit, push Dan Hooker away and get that space, which to me is one of those technical things that you learn over time of being in those huge fights that Michael Chandler has been in. And you learn and understand that this is where what you need to do rather than just swarm and let this guy grab me. Pushes off, gets that little bit of space so that he can throw those right hands and stop the fight. It was absolutely phenomenal. I loved the post-fight call out. Um, Shout out to to the Nature Boy Ric Flair for <laughs> for the for the inspiration. It was exactly what he needed in this moment. 
Yeah, man, definitely. Um, I didn't expect that Ric Flair. I, I'm not a pro wrestling hater, so I, I wasn't hating on it. Although, you know, I know Chandler, so I was kind of like, whereas I didn't expect that, you know, from a you know, you know from a Chael, like Chael was a guy who was like, and maybe Chandler's been doing this too, I don't know, maybe he hit, the, hit that term, but I know when my, my coach Neil was working with Chael, that he would, you know, wake up and hear Chael re- re- reciting in, in the bathroom in the morning, right? Like, like he really had this stuff practiced down. Um, so it was kind of crazy to see Chandler maybe do that, and I don't want to unfairly compare him with Chael or much less, a, you know, a, a Colby. I know there's easy comparisons, American wrestlers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you can't hate on a guy capitalizing on the moment. That's exactly what you have to do uh, in this era of not just UFC, but really in kind of the world. Our attention spans are so quick. And if you don't yep. make use of it from a flashy, highlight reel, viral, playable thing, um, you could even be, you know, be criticized for not making the most of your moment. We've seen that too. And uh, what it, it doesn't have to be your style, but he made the most of the moment. I love how you said he, he could see everything or, or you cited that note. Because that surprised me as well. As well with the KO. I guess I'm just surprised because even though I picked and played Chandler here, Spencer, I thought he was going to wrestle for three rounds. Um, that right. being said, and I will give credit, I think Ed Gallo from the fight site really called this the most. He's a big Chandler supporter. And he's the only other person I ever hear talking about Chandler's body work. But I did mention the body work, and I have written about that in at least the last two breakdowns of Chandler's. Uh, and I did say, uh, you know, another reason why I probably shouldn't be surprised and to the note of him seeing everything, I said that ultimately, yes, Hooker has a game designed to beat guys like this, and he could in theory. But I felt like the speed difference was going to be on another planet. You have one of the more slower 155ers against yeah. literally one of the most fastest and explosive guy regardless of, of organization. And that maybe was perhaps why maybe he said that. I don't know. But when you said that, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Maybe that does make sense that he saw everything coming, right? Yeah, and and again, it's you know you have to give credit on both sides. It's not just that Dan Hooker slow. It's that Mike Mike Chandler prepped. It's that he and Henry Hoof put in the game plan and and did the work that they needed to do to know the patterns to have that pattern record recognition, understand Dan Hooker's game. But but you're absolutely right. Mike Chandler is a always felt a little bit undersized to me. Not not that he should be down at 45, but just. He's one of those guys that he's not the biggest dude. And when you see him in there with a Dan Hooker, who, as you said, big, strong, but a little bit slow, deliberate, methodical. The punches aren't coming super fast. It, it's about timing with him. It makes sense that that, that quickness and that anticipation combined with the understanding of kind of this is the pattern. These are the things he's going to do leads to a situation where he puts that left hand out there and just does what does what you need to do in a spot like this where we're all looking to figure out what happens at lightweight how do they figure this out who really kind of asserts themselves well michael chandler and dustin poirier sure did assert themselves pretty well on saturday night absolutely and uh we're going to move on from this and, and, and blow through the rest of this card here but before we get too far from the main event i want to address another question or a statement i should say that came in the chat um and this is interesting because you don't have to agree with this but I, I know exactly what you're going to see where I'm going with this one, Spencer, as I pitch it to you. But Castle, thank you, by the way, for chiming in. Um, he says, Connor was always good, but he was also the result of great matchmaking, which is very rare from the UFC, in parentheses. He had the perfect run with stuff like Mendez on short notice and the freakish Aldo KO. He also adds, these are his words, not mine, even RDA pulling out was a potential blessing for Connor. Super aggressive southpaw with feints, elite cardio, and a kicking game who can also grapple very well. 
Um, before I pitch this to you, Spencer, I'll just add that uh, I, I'm not you know going to hate your perspective there, Castle, and I'm not going to tell people that they need to you know feel this same way. And I, and I do feel that it is unfair to do this to any fighter, Connor or anybody, uh, because you can always play this game. And again. Um, Castle, not hitting right. on your on your comment. I'm not hitting on your comment. I appreciate your participation, but I think it's a great example. Like we can always do that after the fact game, and we can always poke holes like on the best resumes in the world, mind you. I've done it to Khabib's. Like I've done the same very thing. Yeah. So I'm in no way hating. I think we've all we've all done this, and we all yeah. can do this. Spencer, what do you think of that and that that kind of note? I guess. Yeah, I agree, man. Like we can always go back and and look at the path that was charted and and. Everybody that they do, everybody that somebody doesn't fight looks a little bit better down the road a couple of years. Like you look and you can say, oh, well, he caught Max Holloway at the right time. Well, so did Dustin Poirier early, but who knows? I mean, I'm in the process of writing a piece for for the Keyboard Kimura newsletter, shameless plug, talking about this sort of post-fight thing that we do where it's instantly, well, as you just kind of said, well, how good was he really? And we start poking holes at resumes. To me, yeah, absolutely, there were matchup opportunities and getting Chad Mendes on short notice is, is absolutely a positive app, you know, against getting full camp Mendes when he's not dealing with a knee injury. But you can only beat the guys that they put in front of you. And to go on that run that Connor went on, regardless if you want to call some of them flukes or lucky shot or whatever, he still put in the work and, and earned those victories and had those successes. And so, yep, there were some matchups that he avoided, whether it was by injury or whether it was by matchmaking choices, but he still earned the victories. It's, it's why it's crazy to me every time somebody gets to like four, five, six, eight, 12 wins in a row and people go, yeah, but who have they? There's a reason not a lot of people get to those numbers. Like there's not a lot of people that have put together six, eight fight winning streaks in the UFC. And it's because it's really hard regardless of who you're fighting weird stuff happens all the time you get a weird injury mid-fight you get hit with something that you didn't see coming so while i agree that there's some good fortune in some of those matchups and some of those situations that presented themselves you also have to credit the guy for going through everybody that they put in front of him yeah, and I feel for RDA, by the way, who is another guy who gives Chandler's height some for hope sure. in that division. Another guy who was 5'7", then he went up to welterweight. The UFC started listing him at 5'9". Now I think they've settled on 5'8". Yeah. But let's be <laughs> honest, just like Chandler, RDA is closer to 5'7", right? Even right. though they're listed at 5'8". Yeah. Either way, I'm not going to, I'm not gonna, you know, uh, give the UFC crap for helping them with the tender heights. I mean, you know, hey, I get it, I get it. It's a, it's a rough game out there. But in all seriousness, I do like Castle's point, though, in the RDA um, fight, though, because, for you sure. know, Southpaw's... Aggressive southpaw with feints, uh, cardio, the kicking game, um, and even just you know a more active lead hand. I mean, it was something that I saw as we moved down the card here. I said, uh, you know, so uh, we saw a southpaw throw a check right hook, and I, I always, you know, me, I'm a big southpaw check right hook guy, and I'm like, check right hook southpaws don't leave home without it. And it's not the first time I tweeted that, but I tweeted that Spencer before the main event, and I'm like, you know, the main event is two southpaws, and. I'm picking against the guy who doesn't have that one. Of all the diversity of weapons that I've defended Connor for having, you love. he doesn't have that weapon. He doesn't have, and that ended up being a difference maker. So shame on me. Um, as 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 we move uh, move down the card here on the main card, uh, this was uh, Jessica I defeating Joe or jo no Joanne Calderwood. Sorry, defeating Jessica I. Believe it was by a unanimous decision. Um, I, I submitted Joanne Calderwood for my staff pick, Spencer. 
And then I don't know if it's because nobody on Junkie was picking Jessica I, and maybe because I thought, you know, uh, she's got better volume than what the stats, you know, receive. You know, uh, the right hand defense doesn't look great for Calderwood, but man, Calderwood was showing her right hand and all of her tools. Um, it's always good to see JoJo firing on all cylinders. Did this matchup surprise you? Do you have any thoughts on it? It was the best Joanne's looked in a long time to me. I I was in the Jessica I camp, not, you know, not in a like, oh, Jessica I is going to blow this this girl out of the water or anything like that. But exactly what you said, a little more volume, a little bit better wrestler, grappler, kind of get in there. Thought she could make it kind of an ugly, kind of grimy fight. And I think that's what she needed to do if she was going to be successful. But JoJo looks great coming out of the gate. She was more active than she's been to me in her last few fights. There was a little bit, a little bit more aggress, a little bit more aggression. I think some of that is brought on by just simply not liking Jessica I. Um, this fight felt to me a little bit like picks were being influenced or opinions were being influenced by the not a lot of people seem to like Jessica I, whether it's personal or just she's a fun person to pick on as as as, as a person to pick against. You know, I, I understand those things at times, but it also doesn't really influence what happens inside the cage, whether you like someone or not. But it was a tremendous it was a tremendous performance for Jojo. I think she still has one one more of those kind of performances needed in order to get that title shot that she unfortunately kind of rolled the dice on and didn't get. But I saw Lauren Murphy raise her hand right away after that fight was done. And if if you wanted to give me that fight, I'm 100 percent in. I'm with you. I understand that, you know, you uh, these different weight classes call for different exceptions. So you got to be careful when you look at, you know, what you only can win one or two fights and be a title contender in these divisions. Like I get it from a basic math comparison. Yeah, it doesn't add up, but you have to be within context of the division. But even within context of yep. the division, I agree. She still needs one more. And I don't know about you. I'm sure you mentioned it for good reason, but I've been a big fan of this Lauren Murphy run too. Uh, she hasn't been getting respect from the odds makers in it. So I know I know gamblers uh, haven't done too bad uh, with, with her. And uh, regardless of how you think her chances stack up with Valentina, man, I think Murphy at least deserves that number one contender um, shot at the very least. So that's my vote. Yeah, it's just one of those situations where you don't necessarily know that that's the right matchup until it materializes. I know Lauren Murphy, after her last couple of wins, has said, look, I've got the most wins in the division. I'm I'm this and that. I should have the next shot. And it always felt like, ah, you're not, you know, I need, I need something. I need just one more good win, like one more good performance. And so it was really great to hear JoJo say last night, like, yeah, sure, I'd love that title shot. But if it takes one more, two more, six more, whatever, let me go out and do it. And so put those two together. The winner comes out with another victory under their belt over a top five, top three ranked fighter makes for a great contender for, for bullet down the line. I totally agree with that one there. Um, before we move on to the next fight, just want to include my, my guy Castle's addition. He says, just to make it clear, he absolutely, I'm talking about Connor, I believe, uh, performed yep. well and it was an insane run. If he fights Aldo 10 times, how many times does he knock him out with the first punch? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a lot. That's a loaded question because, like, uh, how many times, like, one. that same version of them? One. That, you know? One. One, that yeah, time, there you go. And that's, but, but the crazy thing is, is that's all that matters, is that one that happened. That, that is the craziest thing. And again, say what you will, the guy is a performer. And Castle lastly adds, which I agree with him here, I wish Connor fought a guy like Frankie Edgar as well. I, I can't hate that. I think that that, that was a fight that uh, probably needed There's, to happen at a certain point for sure. 
you you mentioned the RDA one and, and feeling bad for RDA not getting that. I 100% agree. I would have loved to have seen Frankie Edgar when Connor was on his climb at featherweight or even after he beats Aldo, if he just gets that Frankie Edgar fight in before he goes chasing the second belt. There's a few that, that are on that list that I really wish I could have seen. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm already, uh, we're already pushing, uh, I think, uh, 45 minutes. So I'm going to put, I know you don't have a hard out, sir, but we're going to have to go ahead and uh, push down the list here. Mahmoud Muradov defeated Andrew Sanchez. TKO flying knee and punches. Uh, round three. Grats to people crack cash in that round three pop out there. Um, and Mahmoud Muradov uh, came through for me. He actually opened as an underdog in this spot. I like Andrew Sanchez. There's no disrespect to him. He has noted improvements, and he actually made a good account for himself in this fight, Spencer. I hope that this outing doesn't deter those improvements, but I'm not going to lie. I, I was pretty big on Mahmoud Muradov in this spot, and uh, he saved my butt and a lot of the betters who followed me for advice. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on this one? Looked really good. Just a, just kind of the, not necessarily a breakout performance, but one of those fights that a guy like him who is a little bit under the radar, a little bit unheralded, you can look at who he's beaten in the UFC and, and it's good wins, but you're not necessarily blown away by beating Trevor Smith. So to go out, you're probably not even necessarily blown away by him beating Andrew Sanchez, but people that follow the sport can tell you that that's a very good win and that's a tough win to get. It's the kind of win that he needs to kind of elevate to that next level. It's why I love fights like that. I write about it all the time. These are the kind of tests that we need to see of guys. Like you, you need to put people in positions where they can take that next step and we can find out, okay, where's the floor? Where's the ceiling? Where's this person fit in, in the context of this division? And that was the kind of performance for me that makes me go, okay, step up. Let me see him against a, a veteran. I know he's on this card. I threw it out there after the fight. They're on the same timeline, like Mahmoud Muradov and Brad Tavares. I'm in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not. No, because I like Brad Tavares. We'll get to that. But uh, <laughs> no, no. But you know what? That actually does make sense um, in the scheme like of that, things. Right? No, totally. It totally makes he, sense. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, I, I, I'm going I'm to push on here and I'm going to need really need help with, um, I, I actually admittedly missed the finish of the Murdoff Sanchez as I'm going to need your help a bit for these uh, next two fights, I believe, because uh, something, I don't think you had trouble up there in canada i don't I think too many canadians have, yeah canada canada but, didn't have any problem with the feed but i would say about these opening three fights is fair to say that everyone a lot of people missed and even me who ended up getting lucky and getting through before a lot of people Amer other americans at least still did um it wasn't really doing me very good because the, the stream was still very <laughs> choppy um so i missed a lot of uh marina rodriguez especially over amanda he i thought he was trying to get to her control points early. But uh, in the clinch, it looked like uh, off the breaks, Marina Rodriguez was able to catch her and build off of it. What exactly happened, uh, Spencer? So the first round was kind of what I expected the whole fight to be, which was Amanda Hibas taking it to the ground, dominating with that, you know, using her judo to get inside and get a hold and get it to the ground and then dominating on the ground. Kind of hung out in guard, but was happy to be there and, and kind of do a little bit of damage control positionally wasn't really passing Marina Rodriguez did a very good job of kind of keeping her in her guard, not attacking very much at all, you know, close guard a lot of the times, but it was a, it was a dominant first It was a very good first round, a clear 10, nine for Amanda Hibas in the, in the first. And in the second, it was just a matter of 
before she could get inside, you know, kind of playing around on the feet a little bit too much with a Muay Thai stylist who put a right hand on her and just spun her around in place. Um, it was a weird finish. Herb Dean got real close, like he was about to stop it. It looked like maybe he touched Marina Rodriguez and she she kind of did that pop up and I'm done and looked at Herb like, aren't we done? And he was like, no, nah, keep fighting. She did the right thing, goes back in, gets the finish. Um, but it was just, it was a, it was a perfect counter right hand kind of as both were throwing. She beat Amanda Hebus to the punch, got out of the way of one, countered with a, a straight right to the chin, and that was it. So Hebus has another um, notable uh, TKO or knockout loss. It was a, it was a pretty clean knockout, yep. another kind of perfect, uh, not the prettiest, but perfectly thrown right hand on the regional scene by uh, Pollyanna Vienna, I want to say. Um, so let yep. me ask you this. She posts a picture that she's up to 143, and it's not even like close to fight time, and she's still eating when the picture was posted by her father or coach. Of course, she made yep. wait for 115, maybe 116. That's a huge repacking. So let me ask you this double-loaded question as I go and uh, <laughs> jiggle my power source so my computer doesn't die on us. Um, do you think that is there any reason to be, I don't want to say suspect or put you in a position to throw that accusation, but is there any reason to be concerned about her ability to take shots? And I guess B, part of that question, is any of that or should any concern be attached to this dramatic weight cut she's making? Uh, do you think, it, 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 are, are there any culprits there? So for me, I, I kind of always will side on, I'll always err on the side of, if you don't have to do a dramatic weight cut and you can can fight at a, at a different weight class and, and be healthy and not have some of these risks, then absolutely. I mean, I think Dustin Poirier kind of is a perfect example of that, right? Like got, got stopped by Connor in his last fight at, at 45, not that he hasn't been stopped by Michael Johnson, that incredible shot in, in somewhere in Texas that I can't even remember now that it was a weird, just random, random, yeah. random city in Texas. Hidalgo. There you go. Um, and so there's always that little bit of a concern of why is she cutting all the way down to 115 and then the next day, less than, you know, kind of 24 hours, 36 hours later, up 30, 35 pounds, like, she may be better off fighting at 25. She looked great at 25 against Paige Van Zandt. So that's always there. I think there's a little bit of this that is, you know, you just, I think anybody gets beat to the punch or gets hit with a good shot by a professional fighter and somebody that like Marina Rodriguez is a, is a Muay Thai stylist and is a striker by trade. You're going to go down. You're going to, you're going to deal with it and it's, it's going to hurt. And so I think there's some of that, but if, if this becomes a trend, if this becomes not just a one-off, if we start seeing, you know, next fight out, some of these shots, she's not wearing them well, she's not dealing with them well, then it it absolutely isn't. And I mean, even just in terms of where she's at and, and opportunity, we talked about flyweight earlier. It's a shorter line. And yep. so maybe you don't cut that weight. Maybe you do go up. She still has a ton of promise, a ton of potential, a ton of, star appeal so maybe you do go up and, and you don't cut as much you get in there you get a fast track to to maybe a top five fight i totally agree uh are you good to blow through the pre prelims with me none of us had trouble watching yeah, those for sure all right we had yeah, on the sure. top going Let's down do keeping that theme we had armin Suryukin in a last minute matchup he defeated matt for by unanimous unanimous decision i don't have too much to say about the matchup 
um, as even though I, I was able to give a breakdown on it, uh, I guess the one benefit of doing breakdowns later in the week is you got room for all these switch-ups <laughs> that have plagued us this last year, right? However, I did call for it to go to decision uh, because Frivola is tough. I figured it would have been yep. like his own little ally, Quinta versus Khabib, in a shorter instance, and that's kind of what it was. Um, that being said, I guess your thoughts on the match, Spencer, but more importantly, your thoughts on the events that caused this matchup. And uh, you know what I'm, I'm getting to? I want to know if you have a prediction for what was in Otten's bag. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be something important, right? Like, it's got to be bricks of bricks of money. Like, just, we're talking stacks, right? Like, it's got to be something serious for you to put that kind of that kind of risk out there like i'm risk averse in life i am a reformed degenerate gambler and so putting putting my career like two and zero in the ufc two first round stoppages you're getting a, a main card assignment a favorable main card assignment at that on a conor mcgregor pay-per-view and you're doing some crazy wild stuff it's it had to be just stacks of money or something serious but I think it's going to go down as like one of those forever unknowns in MMA that somewhere down the line, me, you, and a couple other lunatics that follow this sport for years on end will sit around and be like, hey, remember this fight back at whatever it is? And what do you think was in the bag? It'll be like it'll be like a bang cunt situation where, um, you know, I won't, it'd be pretty easy to, to decipher which sport book I got the information from, if you know me. <laughs> but I may, have, may or not have been told that some Asian gentlemen unloaded briefcases of money, about $45,000 in cash. And no later than a couple hours after receiving that information, um, it hit the uh, it hit the waves and, and bookies were pulling it off there. This is before 2015 in November, right? Benson Henderson versus George Masvidal on that card. And sure enough, that was, uh, he was investigated, of course, later. Right. Uh, Taehyung Bang um, and found guilty even for fight fixing and... I don't want to bring any of those things in here, but I don't know if it was Dana or someone or, or another kind of prominent journalist going, uh, you know, kind of reaffirming that he was the bubble violation obviously is serious and they're reaffirming that it is serious. And that is why he was not just kicked off of the card, but out of the organization. No problem there. Totally get that. However, I, I did. I, I don't know if it was Dana or someone said, and, and I don't think it was malicious. I just think it was that they're just not aware of these stories like us hardcores who follow. But they're like, it's not like the guy's a criminal or anything. And I'm like, um, there's actually some stories out there about him and his brother and certain connections and maybe or maybe not kerosene cans getting poured out on people. Things you might see in the movies that have been written and reported on. Um, I'll let you all go on your own to look those up. So when you, so even though I tried to, you know, I made joke and reference things that are highly inappropriate on my show as I often do, Spencer. <laughs> so fair warning. But then he goes and does this and I'm like, he's proving me right. No, you shouldn't prove me right. That's not good. Uh, because yeah. now my, my imagination yeah. is running running loose. Um, you know, And I don't even want to speculate. Even if the guy is literally yep. inviting all the speculation in the world. Obviously, we're joking here. But I, don't, I still don't feel right about seriously speculating. Uh, whether you know, money, drugs, or whatever. You, you want to, you know, uh, weapons or whatever. I, I, I wouldn't know. I really wouldn't know. But it yeah. can't be good if a guy who had a wristband still felt the need to shimmy across four balconies. He already made it in the bubble, right. folks, and he still right. felt the need. So it can't. Have, it couldn't have been good. It couldn't have been couldn't good. Couldn't have been good. That's, uh, yeah, that's the answer. Whatever it was, it wasn't good. Absolutely. And then this fight comes together, so it was really hard for both guys. Saryuki is supposed to be facing a southpaw. Uh, Frivola, a power puncher who doesn't necessarily use his wrestling offensively. 
So um, I don't think you should condemn either guy, but Saryukin is still a guy who I'm pretty high on. I don't know about you, Spence. Yeah, I am as well. I tweeted out during during the fight and sort of after the fight, like it's it's weird to me that people aren't as jazzed about him as maybe I am or you are. Because I remember when he fought Islam Mahashev, there was a ton of support behind him for a quality showing in defeat against a emerging guy like Mahashev. And then he goes out, he beats Olivier Aubin-Mercier, beats Davi Hamosh, and then wins this fight. And it, it feels like people have cooled on him, even though he's now doing the things that we want to see from 25-year-old prospects. So he's a guy for me that, like, big gold star, circle the name, next time he's out, I want to see that step up in competition again. And a guy that I think, you know, a couple of years from now, continues on this trajectory, can be a problem at, at 55. I completely agree. Um, and that was the interesting thing about the hack brass fight is both those guys are literally the highest I've ever been on a guy on his debut right. who I'm also picking against because I picked against them both in their debut. But I was telling people the yep. line is not – this shouldn't be this wide. I'm going to pick this right. guy to win, but watch. It's going to be a lot closer. These dudes are young, and they're going places. So I, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, speaking of young but been around forever, Brad Tavares defeats Antonio <laughs> Carlos Jr., via unanimous decision. Um, I'm sure you all know where my bias was. I won't victory lap too hard, especially since I got my buddy Spencer here with me. But I, I, I And again, I think Carlos Jr. is a nice guy. I've heard nothing but like good things in person about him. He's done stuff, uh, break uh, submission breakdowns for my outlet, MMA Junkie. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, Nothing against him. I just could not, but for the life of me, get this line and get people pushing it the other way. When Brad Tavares, say what you will, he's always done well in these matchups. And... Uh, and he rolled here. I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on this one going in or, or any surprises going out? I mean, no surprises going in, no surprises going out. I, I picked against Brad Tavares. I thought we would see more of a grappler, Antonio Carlos Jr. And I think right now he is in his Damian Maya fallen in love with his boxing phase. Tweeted out last night during the fight, he needs to have a come to Jesus moment with Professor Damian Maya at some point or someone, whoever it may be where he just goes and, and that person sits him down and says, look, you're a world-class grappler. Here's the entries you need to learn. Here's the wrestling you need to learn because once you get your hands on somebody, you have a great deal of success. Here are the things you need to do to be most successful because kickboxer ACJ is not going to be that successful, especially against a guy who is a kickboxer, who has been around for a long time, who I wrote about it in my, in my post-fight, 10 Things We Learned, just titled the little subhead of Brad Tavares appreciation post. Like this is a guy that's been around. These, these are guys that I love. We, yeah. we never give the Brad Tavares types of the world, the Jeremy Stevens is of the world enough love for what they've done, which is a decade as a top 15, top 25 fighter in a very good division. Yep. He's never been a contender necessarily. He's never fought for a title, but he's always there grabs the lunch pail, comes to work. You know what you're going to get from him. He's a tough out. He's a great litmus test for these guys that are yep. on the way up or trying to get trying to get ahead. And when he's not fighting those guys, he has fights like this where you just go, man, Brett Tavares is really good. Like, yeah. it's, hard to, it's hard to win 13 fights in the UFC. Again, what we talked about earlier, right? Like, it's hard to, it's hard to do this. It's really difficult to be around for a decade. And Brad Tavares has done that. So, I mean, shout out to him and, and props to him for a very good win. Yeah, and he's of that era, too, where, like, he had to cut his teeth and learn how to fight as a pro. Maybe not so much, yeah. like, as Amir Sadala, 
Uh, but he's not too far off. And speaking no. of not, not too far off, I've heard people refer to him as Hawaiian Bisping. And kind of like your prototype, <laughs> like, yeah, he, Bisping, yeah. Was, Bisping was a similar prototype, folks, before uh, before he got that, that break, uh, you know, uh, against Luke Rockhold. Not that, you know, us hardcores didn't watch the many iterations of Bisping. I'm not trying to discount that. But he, sure. he eventually settled into a place where no one expected anything of him beyond a middling middleweight, right? Yep. He was, he was going to be that guy that, you could roll out there in main events. He could fight the other kind of fate. I mean, the Anderson Silva fight in London was perfect, right? Yeah. That was who Bisping was. It was the guy that you can count on him for a main event. He's going to make every single fight personal and, and gin up attention for it with whoever it is. I mean, I've talked to him. You've probably talked to him a bunch of times. He'll tell you, I'm an asshole. I'm going to make it interesting. I'm going to say what I say, and this is how it's going to be. But you never expected him to, to hit that next plateau he gets the opportunity and he cashes in. I don't know necessarily that Brad gets there, but he's a guy that's going to hold that pre-championship Bisping line or maybe just a notch below it where if he, you know, he's already spent a decade fighting these top 15, top 10 fights. Another three, four years of that, if he puts together three or four wins here over the next you know, 12, 18 months, it's kind of hard. You know, he's, he's back in the top 10. Yeah, absolutely. And uh Speaking of a matchup, Spencer, of uh, people looking to fade someone perhaps to lose by submission, uh, I was on the wrong side of this one, by the way. Juliana Pena defeats Sarah McMahon by third-round rear naked choke. Um, any surprises going in or surprises going out for you on this one, Spencer? I was. This is one of the few that I'm happy to say I was, I was correct on, um, and that's as an admitted um, unable to quit Sarah McMahon. Like, she is somebody that I will forever look at and be like, but she's just right there. She's so close. And I know, yes. I think you liked the tweet in the first round where it was like, look, she's learned. She's, she's defending properly here. And she's not, got, she doesn't have her arms pinned in where she could get arm barred. And she's reacting to the triangle setups. And cause that was always the thing that plagued her. And so going in, it felt like, okay, is this maybe the opportunity? And I happened to have watched the Pena fight with Jermaine Durandamy very recently and remind, which reminded me that she was actually pretty competitive in that fight through two rounds and looked really good. And then just kind of walked onto a guillotine, like had her head in the wrong position and got caught. And Jermaine Durand me for all of her striking skills has a very good guillotine. It's very much like Alistair Overeem where they're going to kickbox the hell out of you. But if you give them your neck, they're grabbing your neck and you're not getting out. And so to see Juliana Pena kind of make those adjustments. And I liked that she was active off her back in the first, but, wasn't surprised kind of because Sarah McMahon feels like that always just close, but never quite going to get it. I think is, is what it's going to amount to. And I just think that in a fight like this against somebody that's been that little step closer, Juliana Pena's little bit of grit, little bit of gameness, little bit of tenacity kind of, kind of carries her through. Well said. And I too am in that camp of a Sarah McMahon fan, but it totally uh, smacks of the, uh, I think uh, I want to give credit to Zane Simon or Eddie Mercado there and their post-fight show. Uh, I believe they compared Sarah to like the Tom Breeze kind of vibes. And Breeze is another guy I like, by yeah. the way. He's got yeah. all the makings when you look at him, his style yeah. on pa- on paper, paper proverbially. Yeah. He's right there, right? And then, you know, you, you have these these defaults and that is that is this game of fighting. It is about kind of how you show up and... I think that theme kind of continues as my guy Khalil Roundtree drops a unanimous decision to Marcin Prakniao. Now, 
Uh, biased aside, I feel like I'm not the only one, and I dare say I would assume you also picked Khalil to win here. Spencer, I, what was your thoughts? I did, and, and I mean, probably a little biased as well. I had a great conversation with him on Tuesday for, for a really good piece that was up on UFC.com leading up to it. Um, he's a guy that I've had great conversations with in the past. I think he's super introspective, super honest about things, really liked everything that we talked about love where he was at headspace wise was really surprised to see him drop this decision because I think there were moments, there were a lot of really good positive moments for him in terms of development and improvements. But then some of that patience led to periods of inactivity. And so where he used to be a little bit too aggressive in spots and get a little bit out ahead of his skis he was a little bit back too much this time, and it kind of led to, to Pracknell getting an, op an opportunity. And again, shouts to Martian Pracknell for making some adjustments and and developing some things and and figuring some things out after going 0-3 with three straight first-round stoppage losses in his UFC career. But yeah, a little disappointed, a little surprised by this outcome, but this is a fight game, man. This is this is what happens. Guys break your Guys break your heart all the time, and people develop and improve and change things that you don't see coming and, and you get results like this. You said it perfectly, man. I really can't <laughs> add much more than that. And you're right. That that's what does happen. And we do get results like this. And I feel like also anytime you see those big bet alerts come up on your screen on the fight day, it's almost like an insta jinx minus the Dustin Poirier one, which that guy cashed. Right. But minus that, I feel like every big bet alert we saw on the card just was like, was just like the death note. Like, Oh, you just jinxed it. And so many of them are like, really? Like, I, I, you know what I mean? Like, I love Khalil as a fighter. I love right. him as a dude to talk to an interview. And I loved him going into this fight. And I thought it was going to be one-sided. But, like, that is not, like, that's just not a dude that you're putting that, like, the, yeah. incons the inconsistency has been there. You see this man's track record that it's been up and down. And there's been highs and lows. And, and for him to be the guy you're deciding to drop... Yeah, man. Cash on, like, like I said, I'm risk averse, so nope. No, totally. I mean, even me being biased and whatnot, I, all the big betters that hit me up prior to the event, I said that they were looking for a parlay piece or Khalil and asking me about it. I said, I love Khalil. I think he rolls here. I'm going to pick him here, but I'm not playing him, and I think you should Stay be away, careful yeah. about staying away from that, you know? And I, I feel really bad for Khalil losing, but I do feel good at least that I gave the right advice to – Right. To my listeners there, because you see those big bets pop up on your screen, and you're like, "What? You're like, you're right, yeah. What is that guy doing for this fight? Um, this is a fight where the chalk. The next fight though was a chalk friendly fight. Uh, Mavzar Evloev, who got up to like a minus seven hundred favorite at close over Nick Lentz, which ended up being his retirement fight. Uh, he was able to squeeze a split decision out of there. Uh, I know there's different opinions on the first round, but I don't think anybody has an issue with Mavzar uh, Evloev taking the win. Obviously, any any thoughts on this one, Spence? I'm super high on Eve Loev. He's a guy that, you know, from, from the first time I saw him fight in the UFC and prepping for that, going back, watching some of his M1 challenge fights, feels like a guy that is just that that coming generation where there's not a lot of holes. Nothing is necessarily, you know, that one dominant skill set, that one dominant trait where you've got to look out for just that thing. It is a really nice, complete package where... He can wrestle, he can grapple, he's got the takedown defense, he's got the submission defense that we saw in the first round yesterday. He's got clean boxing. I like that he's southpaw. I like that he's at 45 as opposed to 35 where he was 
pre-UFC, works with a good team. Like he feels to me like one of those guys that's in that 25 to 27, unbeaten, but he's fought some good people. He's fought some tough fights. I loved this assignment against Nick Lentz. Another one of those guys that is the perfect lit litmus test for these young kids coming up. Goes out, he gets this win. I really wouldn't be surprised if he's a top 10 fighter by the end of the year. I second. I think our radar is wired similarly, which again, <laughs> I mean, hey man, you've been covering this long enough, especially as long as you, you start to get that radar. And for me, it's like that the Russian Frankie Edgar, if he could switch dances yep. and fight Southpaw, you know, Frankie Edgar could, because that's what this, this kid reminds me of. I saw a lot of Frankie Edgar comparisons for other fighters. I can't remember who, but I'm like, no, man, if there's any Frankie Edgar on this card, it's Evil Ev. Um, and it came in handy right against Nick Lentz, who was a bigger guy. And Lentz, man, you know, I, I admittedly haven't been like the biggest biggest Lentz fan, but you got to tip your hat uh, to a guy kind of like someone like Tavares to be in one, especially lightweight, the most competitive division, at least my favorite division. I'm a bit biased there, yep. Spencer. But to be in there as long as he had, as well as 45, going uh, going to wars, giving us those wars with Oliveira, even if he came out on the losing end, uh, I got to tip my hat um, out of respect to uh, Lentz for that. I think... I did the math going into this one and, and writing my preview for UFC.com. He is one of 26 fighters that has made 25 walks, made it in, you know, had 25 fights in the UFC. Given how long, and I know that, you know, the UFC is, hasn't been around as long as some of these major stick and ball sports, but we've been churning out fights here for, for the last few years since the Fox deal. The schedule has been up and up and up in the 30s and 40s. So for there only to be 25 people that have made that walk 25 times and Nick Lentz to be one of them, regardless of record, that tells you something about that dude. That tells you something about what he's capable of. So as you said, you just you have to tip your cap to him. Absolutely. And lastly, but not leastly, Amir Albazi defeats Zhaugas Jumagulov or Kazakhstan's Jim Norton, as I like to call him. So he looks like to me. Jim Norton had had a kid on one of his tours over there if he did. But either way... I got love for Zalgas. I just felt like um, his wrestling wasn't uh, a, 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 as good as some might stereotype just because of the, the region of the world he comes from, and that would only yep. get him in trouble against a better grappler and more athletic guy, um, which was it. I missed the subprop here. Uh, however, I'll, I don't think I uh, went back and listened, and I don't think I uh, talked about it enough on this podcast, but I, forgive me, I did like four preview shows last week, <laughs> and in my defense, I did write on my line movement MMA betting sheet that even though I'm looking for the prop here. I'm also waiting for the line uh, to get closer to even, which it did, and that's where it kind of closed at uh, for a straight play. So that's why it was uh, 3-0 and um, officially for podcast straight plays, but also 3-0 and for a slightly separate set um, over on the line movement MMA uh, betting sheet. But, uh, yeah, any any um, any thoughts on Albazi or Zuma Gulaf or this fight? I mean, Albazi's just another one of those guys that's on my radar I because I'm – kind of a psychopath about things and get really OCD about, you know, wanting to wanting to list out every single fighter in every single division that I'm that I'm watching. I wrote a series on on my on my newsletter in the kind of week before the first fight of the year. He was part of that list of of emerging prospects and up and comers at flyweight that I'm, you know, just curious to keep seeing. I thought he looked really good against Malcolm Gordon getting the quick the quick submission win in his debut. This is a guy in Zhumagulov who's fought some good competition before he got to the UFC, had a good fight against Julian Paiva in his debut. So going to be another good test. Let me just see where this guy's at. I liked what I saw. I mean, was was happy to see Twitter light up when DC said, oh, that takedown, 
should seal it for Zhumagulov. And everybody was like, whoa, DC, hang <laughs> yeah. on. And, and DC, DC, to his credit, even fixed it up and corrected it later in the night, yeah. which I saw get some shout outs from, from different people that are, you know, ardent about judging and scoring criteria over the course of the night. But just a good performance from another kind of young, emerging fighter who needs these opportunities is probably, you know, two years away from contention if everything goes well. But those are the kind of guys that I, you know, everybody can pay attention to the main card guys. Everybody's paying attention to the the headlining acts. And, and I am too. But I'm also really keen on whoever's in those first couple of matchups because two years down the line, those are going to be the guys that we're talking about. Absolutely. I, I did see that about DC too. And uh, he did correct himself. I know he's been making a better uh, effort. I believe he even got in touch with a Ben Cartledge. Yeah. I know Sean Sheehan is always out there fighting the good fight. Thank you, Sean. Uh, and the only, the only thing I I, I, I had a, I, not even issue with, but like my only DC moment of the card, because I know he gets picked on a lot. And I like DC, by the way, because uh, I met him in person uh, on, on his rise as a really uh, a good guy. So I probably defend him more than most, but he certainly uh, tends to tends to tickle the fan base on commentary sometimes. And, and yeah, like I, and it wasn't like a bad thing, but like in the beginning, Carlos Jr. threw a really sloppy combo and like completely missed. And Brad Tavares is like showing matrix head movement, defends, hits him with the jab and leg kick, and I'm like, none of it was being called. I was like, what is? And like the whole time he was focusing on like this missed combination. I'm like, when there's all this, and including wrestling action, I'm like, DC. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I, I get it, but at the same time, you know what? Uh, obviously, it's all out of love. I I, I defend DC more than most. Uh, same with Paul Felder, who's another guy I met behind the scenes, is just a, nothing but a good guy. I'm a fan of in that role. Everyone knows I'm a fan of Jan, uh, John Anik, JA, since like ESPN Live. Uh, so anybody last night saying that they like or this is their favorite out of the current set of UFC commentators, um, I don't blame them at all. However, I will say one of my favorite combinations, not to get us uh, too long here, Spence, but I love DC and John Gooden because they're just so polar opposite. But John Gooden is such a pro. He he works with it so well. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? I mean, I'm, I'm biased. I have a really great relationship with John Gooden and – and so he's always a guy I'm going to root for. I mean, there really isn't. An, and obviously we all have our favorites, but like you could roll out anybody right now. And I think that's the really impressive thing to me about the UFC. I know we have lots of conversations about what the contender series has done in terms of producing new talent for the UFC. But some of the best talent that has come off the contender series are Brendan Fitzgerald, are Paul Felder as a broadcaster, are Michael Bisping as a broadcaster, are the terrific doesn't get enough opportunities Laura Sanko, who yes. shout out to Invicta and yes. LFA for giving her some opportunities. Um, it's been great for building talent, but it's been great for building in-house talent as well. Um, and even some of the people that haven't graduated to doing kind of UFC live events, Dan Helley was much better this year running the show yes. for, for the entire season. Yep. Um, Eve Edwards was good in, in season one, and he's gone on to do some other stuff as well. But like, you could you could mix and match anybody, and so I was really happy to see Gooden out there for the Wednesday card. I like him, as you said, getting matched, getting split up from just being with Dan Hardy. Though I do love the Brit connection, where they're speaking a language that if you don't understand it, you're you're maybe not understanding some of the references and some of the terms. But it's it's terrific. We got a we got a snatch reference. We got a Bricktop reference on Wednesday. So yeah, yeah, give, absolutely. Give me John Gooden whenever you want, man, and I'm and I'm in. Yeah, all, all great shouts, including my guy Brendan Fitzgerald too. Love, love Brendan, and I'm so That's impressed. Great. I'm so impressed because he doesn't come from the background. Some right. people may use that against him. Right. 
I think it makes him that much more impressive. That's just yep. my opinion, of course. Uh, as, as we get out of here, I'm going to address the last questions in the chat, um, as well as this. There's a lot of obvious but different selections. Um, biggest winner and biggest loser of the card. Uh, not too big of emphasis on the loser. I'm not trying to pick on anybody but that. But, you know, sure. just your biggest your biggest winner and biggest loser, so to speak, of UFC 257, Spencer. I mean, not to – I mean, obviously, Dustin Poirier has a great night. Is a yeah. is a massive winner. I think Michael Chandler absolutely, because he proves himself to those people that said, oh, well, it's the Bellator guy. But for me, it's Marina Rodriguez. Like, this is somebody – who we kind of were looking past. Every, all the attention's on Amanda Hebas for good reason. She's looked great, 4-0, bubbly personality, tons of potential. But for me, Marina Rodriguez is somebody, she's 3-1-2 in the UFC now, which is a weird record. I think that split decision loss to Carla Esparza, I've, I scored it at home, I've watched it several times. I give her that win. That totally changes where she's at. So to go out and have that performance, to kick off the pay-per-view, and it sucks that so many people didn't get to see it because it is that moment that should be her breakout moment. But I think enough people will be talking about it, that it becomes that catalyst to get her some of those bigger fights because that division, if you look at it really kind of top heavy, and then that middle section kind of below maybe Joanna Janjacek, there's some room for movement. So a big win like that, a stoppage win like that, given who she's already fought given what she's already done. I, I think she gets the biggest kind of bump up and, and step up coming out of this. I love your answers there, man. I love the biggest winner one because I think that would, you would think would be my choice too, and it kind of is in a way. Um, but the loser one, it's a creative one. You know, I always appreciate those kind of creative hipster answers, but no, it, it, that's very true, and I'm glad you incorporated that because uh, that actually will incorporate into my answer in a broader spectrum. Excuse me. <clears throat> So I love those there. Uh, before I give you my biggest winner and biggest loser, Spencer, I'm going to read off uh, Kevin Sanders' question in the chat because I think it correlates with maybe not my answer, but a, a common one I think for a bigger biggest loser I think would get – McGregor would probably get a lot of people's votes, not to be rude, but let's – you know, if we're, if we're just – if we hit sure. gun to the head, we got to answer based on this card, right? Uh, but Kevin Sanders is my man, my man over there. Another double black belt there. I believe his first one was in Tang Sudo. Mine was in Taekwondo. But I met Kevin in our Kempo Karate days – and uh, Kevin got some actually highlights in the day, man, doing like jump spin kicks to people's dude's head. But uh, shout out to uh, my main training partner and a fellow black belt growing up, Kevin Sanders in the chat. Nice to see you. He says, you guys think McGregor Pacquiao will still happen? I know it's not MMA, but I'm curious. Um, as I'll let you answer that uh, quick, quickly there, Spence. But I could see a, him, McGregor, being a biggest loser, not just for the obvious fact that he lost and everything that he stands to gain and whatnot and what he represents, but... I do feel like the loss, especially by knockout, really puts a damper even on the boxing wild card. Uh, wild card part on the pun there, even if we're talking about Manny Pacquiao or anybody else. What are your thoughts, Spence? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to to see kind of Manny Pacquiao in the lead up to this talking about, you know, setting up that fight. And Connor talked about it was real close and felt like it was going to happen. So I think that's a really good, I think that's a really good take. I think that's a really good approach to it because. I don't necessarily think that it it means it won't happen and makes it kind of impossible to happen, but it certainly diminishes things. It takes some of the shine off of it, especially given the way that this played out and, and the finish, as you said, where he's getting getting stopped as opposed to it, you know, maybe going the distance or even getting submitted. When you see a guy get knocked out like that, are you necessarily all that keen on hustling him in there against 
a world-class Hall of Fame boxer like Manny Pacquiao. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly right. And again, power is the last thing to go. So uh, aside from the skill differential, um, yeah, I don't think it's the safest fight. I don't think even the most staunchest McGregor supporters would feel great about that if that were to, to hypothetically be booked next, right? But right. still a good question nonetheless, Kevin, because it uh, it segued into that. So that's McGregor is actually not going to be my biggest loser and winner. I'm going to go a little outside the box and hipster, if you will. Again, I give the UFC credit when it's due, but I also got to be critical. So it's kind of a split answer. I think the UFC is, to me, the biggest winner. I think it was a fantastic card. Uh, I think the production was A+. Um, you know, And if you want to you know, cheat or I don't know if you want to contrarian or negative or whatever, but like at the end of the day, if you look at, you know, th- even with Connor and that potential, if you want to like be like, look at those potential money losses, I think if you look at, you know, the UFC's business, which, you know, I'll, I'll let the courts ha- hammer that out right now, but it's a pretty profitable business for them. And if you look at the talents that I think we've done a good job breaking down here, Spencer, like the future is really bright and, and, Dana White himself, who I'll mention here in a second, um, like he says, man, you know, whether it's the Chuck or Anderson Silva, now Connor, uh, everyone freaks out when these stars are on their downfall. <laughs> but it's crazy. It is, you know, in, in, it's not just it's not just it is promoter talk, but it's not just promoter talk. Dana right. is correct that a, a new one will come along. So for all these reasons, however you want to be cut it, even if you're of the cynical type. Um, I feel like it was still a great show, d- despite the streaming options. I feel like you got your your fighters that closed on a good note. How many times have we seen that, where a pay-per-view is really crappy, and then it ends good, and all of a sudden it's a good pay-per-view? And how many right. times have we seen pay-per-views that are great, from main card to prelim action, hardcore fighters to old names making their comeback, but then you get a stinker or a bad decision in the main event, and everybody's like, that card sucked, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, this yeah. was a this was a good card. However, it ties, and I got to be fair. Again, I got to be fair for better or worse, which usually it's worse for me. And um, you don't have to weigh in. I'm not trying to put you in a spot, obviously, uh, with your job, Spencer. But if I'm being fair, I do think that even though the UFC is the biggest winner, Dana White, I think he's the biggest loser, even as people are piling on Conor McGregor. I know everyone's memeing him today, and he is the soup du jour. (laughs) But, man, um, between not just the Conor McGregor thing, the Khabib thing, which, again, I'm not trying to hate on, but people who listen to this podcast know that I kind of – which wasn't hard to predict. I'm not trying to pat myself on the shoulder, but I figured Khabib was going to stay retired. Even Dana White now is looking like he's hitting his his acceptance stage, right? He's even said so himself, not looking good, right? Then you got Conor losing – but then you have the small things, which weigh a lot for me, like Ottman's bag. Like, we wanted an answer. We, we, we gave you our <laughs> guesses here. And when Dana White was asked, he had all the footage and all the stuff. All They caught him. They had the cameras. And they still didn't find out what was in Ottman's bag. Uh, and then there, there's the streamer thing. You know, everyone made the big deal. He went to war with the streamer. He publicized it. Not only did he not get the stream, but the legal watchers had trouble to where right. some of their big names, like J.J. Watt was out there tweeting the right. event, which... You know, we want to talk about good PR and bad PR. That's not the greatest. Um, So I'm not trying to pile on, much less end on a negative. But as much as I give the UFC credit now and have and stated at the top of the show, even their unsung heroes, I couldn't help but see Dana at the press conference, I guess, Spencer. And I'm like, this guy's not happy. Like, the UFC just kicked ass and Dana seems miserable. But the more I put it together, I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's a little bit of a different experience for him tonight. I don't know. Yeah, there's definitely some challenges and and you never want a broadcast to go the way that that pay-per-view kicked off with so many people experiencing so many problems. And and like you said, look, I'm I'm the last person to really weigh in because I live in Canada. I pull it up on my on my cable package. Lucky Canadians. As, 
as I said during the fight, I always order it at the start of when I sit down because I I've had problems with kind of access and and everybody ordering it at the same time and it not coming through necessarily. So I get it out of the way when the televised prelims start. That's a thing I've learned. But I mean, yeah, I, I fully understand where you're coming from and, and what you're saying of like, there were some different things that became a big deal. And to me, that's, I've always been one of those people that look, I understand how huge a personality and what a big force Dana White has been going into this event or going into in this sport as a whole. But my focus always remains on the athletes. Yep. And one of the lucky things for me or fortunate things for me between writing a newsletter that is wholly my own, that doesn't get a lot of views that I don't worry about. I'm not worried about ad revenue. I'm not worried about appeasing anybody other than writing the things that I want to write or writing at UFC.com where I'm writing features, I'm writing previews, I'm spotlighting athletes. It's all about the athletes. And so I don't even necessarily pay as much attention to it as maybe most people that follow the media or are in the media understandably have to. Like you have to write about the things Dana White talks about, even if you think that they're nonsensical, even if you think that they're not the big story. You have to write write about them because they are big stories because he's involved. And so for me, it often kind of slips away. I don't watch press conferences anymore. Yeah, when the fights are done. I turn off the TV, I grab my dog, we go for a nice walk to kind of get out the the kinks of being on the couch for, you know, whatever it is, six hours at a time watching these events. And so I don't necessarily take some of this stuff in the same way, but all the points you're making are 100%. There's so much that he spoke of and then the broadcast issues that either felt unanswered or stumbles that it's an it's an understandable kind of, split win loss for them yeah yeah and you really kind of saw it and again i'm not believe me i'm not trying to pick on the guy or end up on end up on on one of his videos um and for what it's worth by the way i i send him in what you're saying because i actually share the same grounding point um because i have to it's my beat my beat like yours it's it's different but it's based around the athletes and let's be honest they deserve our attention and i know i don't have to tell you that twice you obviously are very sympathetic and do a great job of getting these stories out, sir. So so thank you for that. And that's another reason why people should be following Spencer at Spencer Kite, as you see on the screen. Um, and so and, and 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 even, you know, and again, it's not my beat. I just for better or worse, kinda yep. I kinda gotta call things as they are. And and for, for what sure. it's worth, and I've shared this before, and I don't know if you know this, but like I've actually had plenty of interactions with Dana like back in the day within the Vegas scene, and he's always been the best tipper, <laughs> the nicest yeah. guy. Uh, I've had nothing but positive experiences um, with him. Even at, granted, I haven't asked too stupid of scrums after any of these, you know, too, too stupid questions at the scrum to get called out, granted. See, and I but, have, and so. <laughs> yeah, but like, so like, I, I've honestly had no bad experiences. So it's not even me trying to like get get cool points and like sure. talk bad about, like, no, that's, believe me, I'm, I'm neither on one side or the other, like many things. Um, but, you know, I just, I, I, I couldn't help but point out that dichotomy. And of course, the streaming is a, is a talking point of, of this event, Absolutely. right? So yeah. anyways, man, that was awesome. I do appreciate you hanging, hanging tough and hanging long. Hopefully I didn't keep you from anything. Uh, before we get out of here, Spencer, I'm going to have you back on the program. You, you've been someone I've been, we, we've been in talks to have on. Think of a top five topic or if there's a card <laughs> you want to jump on for a breakdown. Uh, this won't be the last you see of Spencer on this show, folks, but I got to turn the floor over to you. Anything you want to plug, 
uh, whether it's your work on UFC.com, your Substack, any other personal ongoings you have, the floor is yours. Uh, it's a it's a non-fight week, so there's not a lot coming to UFC.com. It's nice. I'm I'm just chasing some of the some of the February work, getting started on that. It's a full slate of stuff, so there will be plenty. You can always find it on my Twitter at Spencer Kite. Um, and as you said, the Substack, the newsletter, the Keyboard Kamara newsletter. It is spencerkite.substack.com. Uh, I've been trying to write it most days. It is just an outlet for me to kind of share the things that I'm thinking, do some previews, do some predictions, have a little bit of fun, as I said, do crazy, ridiculous projects like spotlight 250 fighters that I'm looking forward to seeing compete this year over the course of seven parts. So if you are, you know, into into some longer form stuff and and the musings and ramblings of a guy that's been covering this sport for for a decade and and absolutely loves this sport please check it out please subscribe and uh you'll get it in your get it in your email it's such a nice little little easy thing i subscribe to a few substack newsletters now it's nice every morning i wake up or whenever they get published they're just there and i don't have to go find it it's easy so feel free to sign up i appreciate anybody that does thank you for having me on and, and as you said we uh will definitely do a few more of these in the future well, if you haven't followed Spencer's work, I think passion is the word that he used. I think that's that's great. <laughs> I think that's that's the common thread too, because um, I've had people that are even non-media members um, as far as like past top five guests. But I think what the common thread of people who at least I, I like to have on on this show um, is it's not so much knowledge base or this or that. I, I feel like passion. That's the word you kind of nailed it there. Because if you're passionate about it, for one, you shouldn't be covering this board. There's not there's no riches or fame in it. You have to be passionate about it. But for two, I think all the other stuff comes with passion um the knowledge the excitement um and so on and so forth so man keep that fire alive i know it, it could be a grind you know we, we we've talked about it i know i i've i definitely felt that way and i've shared it with my audience but we got to support the good guys out there so support spencer follow him uh subscribe to his work and uh thank you all for subscribing to this show um before we get out of here i'll just say real quick visit mixedmarshallanalyst.com which helps host this here program. You can find click-throughs if you're an Onnit shopper. I like the kettlebells, uh, the hemp supplements, the protein, or if you use Amazon. Um, I know it's you know not exactly the best to be you know contributing to some of these corporations, but we kind of have to a lot. So go ahead and ease your conscience uh, by killing two birds with one stone. You click through either the Amazon or Onnit portals for no extra cost of your sale. A small percentage of that sale will go back to this here show, so I can have more joker from batman uh drop so i can hijack the airwaves uh and other things that i spend the money on uh that does go to this show i assure you thank you guys for following at the pyn podcast on your social feeds you can follow me as you see on the screen just like spencer's handle is found mine is at dan tom mma um anything else before we get out of here spencer i think we covered it huh yeah i think we did it we got it uh top to tails we're all good man all right thanks for joining us and until next time protect your neck <laughs>